I didn't realise how transformational it could be for people in the long term and how, how those kind of, you know, how, how lives really can be turned around by finding that community and, and have, just having the, you know, the opportunity to, to sing your heart out once a week, basically, which is, it can, yeah, as I say, incredibly cathartic and joyful experience that stays with you throughout the week. Hi there, and welcome to This Is Why We Sing with me, James Sills. I'm a singing leader, a musician and an author, and I'm convinced about the transformative power of singing. And the idea of this podcast is to open up the conversation around singing and to explore how it can help us to lead happier, healthier and more fulfilling lives. Today's conversation is with Marie Benton, who's the founder and CEO of Choir With No Name, which is a UK-based charity that runs choirs for people affected by homelessness and marginalisation. I have a huge amount of respect for Marie, who I've got to know over the years through my involvement with the Liverpool Choir With No Name. I think Choir With No Name is a really remarkable organisation for many, many reasons. The singing is the glue that keeps people together in Choir With No Name. They have a very defined artistic vision, which is to sing fun, uplifting, soulful pop music. And members of Choir With No Name wear their choir t-shirts with pride. Their concerts are euphoric and joyful. And when Choir With No Name are able to sing again in person, and you're able to if you're in the UK, I encourage you to go to one of their concerts. Their Christmas concerts in particular are legendary. In the conversation with Marie, we talk about the ripple effect, how the choir members might only be singing together for two hours a week, but actually this experience becomes a platform for something much more profound. It becomes a catalyst for change in their life, giving people confidence, improving their mental health. And it's really amazing to hear about this direct from Marie, who had the vision to set up Choir With No Name back in 2008. So here we are, recorded in lockdown, myself in North Wales, Marie in London. Here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Marie. I'm going to start by asking you the first question I always ask everybody, which is what song is in your head right now? Uh, It's I Want a Little Sugar in My Bowl by Nina Simone, which I've been having piano lessons and I'm learning to play the blues, basically. and, And so I... Have um, so yeah, I've been tackling that since last Friday. Well, no, hang on, Saturday when I had my last lesson, basically, which is wow. so fun. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I wasn't familiar with that song, and um, I've just recorded another conversation with a podcast guest, and they chose that as their song to add to the playlist at the end. It's, How it's funny! A, yeah, great minds, great it's minds. It's like it's blues, but it's not blues because you you sort of when so I listened, I was listening to it last week, like one evening, and said to my piano teacher, like. Oh, I quite like to try this one because we we hadn't done any blues. We've done bits of you know other other genres and stuff, and um, and he was like, oh yeah, good idea. And then I didn't listen to it properly. And actually, when you do listen to it properly, when you look at the chords, you think it's going to be a twelve bar, and it's not at all. There's all sorts of kind of like like other bits that she's put in basically. And it's um and it's also a category he told me called dirty blues, which is so it's like suggest <laughs> suggestive early music where uh, you weren't allowed well like women particularly weren't allowed to sing about sex basically. So it's all kind of shrouded in metaphor. Right. Well, do you know what? I've just seen the film uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Which, which I really recommend, which is on Netflix. And yeah, there's certainly a lot of her songs, I think, that have that kind of, uh, yeah, a, a kind of a secondary meaning, absolutely. Yes, yeah. Um, 
what I love to hear about this, um, Marie, is that you're kind of, you know, continuing to nurture your own um, musicality and your musicianship because um, obviously we're going to talk about Choir with No Name and, and you know, the way that that is supporting other people on their journeys, musical and otherwise. But it's, it is really important, isn't it, to keep yourself topped up it's it's become and it's become more and more important this year I think yeah absolutely and actually that's that's the the best thing of lockdown for me has been learning piano and, and well I learned classically as a kid and I didn't really get on with it very well in fact because I, I was a terrible sight reader and I think if you learn classical piano and you're not a very good sight reader it's just frightening like there's so many things to read at once and all of that so I didn't um so I kind of you know kept it up because I needed a second instrument I was, uh, was a saxophone player really um, but I didn't really enjoy it. And then, so I, but I've always really envied people who could just sit down and play a song, you know, and I want to be able to do that. And I'm sort of, I've made loads of progress, which is like really exciting. So yeah, it's good. Oh, it's really fun. One of the things I've realised over my life is that nurturing your own musicality and kind of thing is, is, it's, well, it's crucial, isn't it? Like if you're, if you're a person who, whatever you get your, um, your top ups from basically and for me it's music like you need to keep that going or everything falls apart basically uh, yeah absolutely I remember when I went into teaching um and I remember I was just so um determined that I would keep seeing myself as a musician first and a musician that taught you know and so I kept playing playing my trombone and singing and performing and and I, I felt that was really really important because it is very easy to fall into that role if you're someone who is making things happen for other people and supporting other people it's easy to to neglect oneself so yeah I'm absolutely yeah. with you there so you talked a little bit about your background now I'm really quite interested in you know about your kind of your musical journey your singing journey and you know what led you to the point in 2008 where you you formed the first um or, or you you set up the first choir with no name rehearsal so yeah could you maybe talk us through a little bit about your your musical and your singing background yeah absolutely and I sang a lot at school like I was in you know I was in the uh, a couple of choirs at school and um and had always really enjoyed it but then I didn't quite realize how much I enjoyed it I think and I kind of let it slip basically when in my early 20s um but I was a saxophone player I kind of did that professionally for for a while um like I uh so I had moved to London to to play in bands, basically. And through that time, I, I kind of carried on backing singing, basically, like, you know, and sort of function band sort of stuff, basically. Um, and then I answered an ad, like this is back in the days, pretty much pre-internet, where you answered ads in loot for band members, basically. And, and uh, there was an ad for altos and tenors wanted because I had a search out on the word tenor because I played tenor sax so anyway altos and tenors wanted for a gospel choir and I was like oh that sounds fun I might audition for that so I auditioned and got in and then um ended up getting into we had a we had quite a flaky choir director in that gospel choir who didn't turn up very much and because I was a musician and I knew how to count stuff in and all that kind of stuff like I sort of stepped into the breach quite a bit and discovered I was really good at it so it was a kind of I just sort of happened by chance to, to realise that I was a better choir director than I was a saxophone player, basically, and that I, I had a kind of natural um, ability, I guess, to kind of to be in that sort of leadership position in the, in the singing and really enjoyed that, basically. So I got better at it with gospel chops, basically, and uh, with that, that choir and then a, a, a new and better <laughs> um, gospel choir, basically. And at the same time, so I was still gigging on the saxophone and, and then still, and I 
had then begun doing a day job in a homelessness charity, basically. So so I kind of had those two um very different uh, worlds by the sound the of it. Yeah, yeah, they were. And and again, I think like you, like I when you know, my I was I was an okay saxophone player, but I wasn't a brilliant one and, and um, you know, making a living had be, was was challenging, I guess, like a kind of regular living. Um, and so I'd kind of done various different, you know, bits of jobs in the meantime. So I'd worked in record shops for a long time and, and, um, and did other sort of various day jobs. And then I, I got into charity PR, like communication stuff and actually, um, found a bit of a niche or a kind of, you know, like a, was, was doing all right with that as a day job, but I didn't want to let the music slip, like you say. Mm. Like, um, so, uh, so they didn't feel... I don't know. I kind of had two concurrent careers, I guess, for a while, basically. Yeah, running still, parallel. I still have, really. Yeah, like I still feel, even though I can do both of those careers within the same organisation now. Like being a choir director is a very different thing to being a chief exec, sort of thing. So, um, so <laughs> you know, it's, do you know what uh, I always say? We have to wear multiple hats, don't we? Those of us who you know who are working in the arts and as musicians, and now especially so, but. That's a lot of hats, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, I think that's. But that's one of the things that keeps you interested as well, isn't it? It's kind of, of course, yeah, good. exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so you're kind of setting the scene really well here for the the, the formation of the first um, kind of happening of choir with no name, which I believe mm. was back in two thousand and eight. Is that right? March the thirty first, two thousand and eight. Etched, etched in your brain. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about about that first evening? What you know, um, your motivation to set this up. And what actually happened in the room that evening? Absolutely, yeah. The motivation to set it up came from it was. It, I'd had the idea, and I'd discussed it with a, with a few colleagues at the homelessness charity I was working at, and people seemed to think it was a good idea. There wasn't a lot else going on in London, you know, in in that kind of you know mainstream pop sort of choir world, basically. Um, and and also, you can just see, like, work, working directly with homeless people, you can see the um, a lot of a lot of the problem for people sometimes is that kind of lack of community that you get from from being in a choir so it kind of felt like it made a lot of sense and then I had done a bit of voluntary work with a, with a theatre company um who had got some a space in King's Cross and I uh, mentioned to the guy that ran that that I'd had this idea and he said I could use the space for free and at that point that was the real catalyst because at that point I had no excuse not to, if you know what I mean. Like I, there was, if I hadn't done it at that point, I would have felt really guilty because I had all of the, all of the tools at my disposal to be able to get it going. Uh, so, so, you know, we pulled in favours basically like a couple of, a couple of friends uh, from the homelessness charity came to cook dinner that evening. Another friend came to play the piano. Someone else had des- like another friend had designed the poster for it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we advertised in all the sort of hostels and day centres we had links with. And, and there were four people turned up that that first evening. And so we had like three volunteers, me and uh, and um, and four choir members. And it was really lovely. Like it was so intimate because it was so small, basically. Yeah. But, you know, so we sang through a lot of stuff that... Uh, so I had a few things prepared and then people would... Like it was very informal. Like people would kind of mention a song that they liked and... And we'd sing through a verse and a chorus of it sort of thing, just to kind of get people talking to each other and talking about music a little bit. So there was some Bob Marley, there was probably some Beatles, you know, that, that kind of, you know. Yeah, that, classic. That sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then we had some uh, pasta and dolmio sauce for tea, if I remember rightly, basically afterwards. <laughs> and and, uh, and everyone went home happy. And then the following week, there was eight people. And then it, you know, grew from grew from there, basically. Fantastic. And then, you know, you've, you've grown to to four four choirs now and and kind of 
sister partner choirs, which we'll come to talk about. But it seems that the format um, of that first evening has remained relatively unchanged. Is that right? You know, kind of singing together, the type of songs that you sing together, and then eating together. And it seems to me a real kind of winning format. And I know because I've had the privilege of of um, leading your Liverpool choir. It's the the exact format we use for our, our Wrexham One Love Choir. So why do you think that, you know, you really hit upon something, I think, in that first rehearsal, something that was much more about than just singing songs together. So could you maybe yeah. talk through that a little bit? I think that was, if I'm totally honest, it was more by luck than design, really, like in the first instance, and it just felt like the natural thing to do. Um, and I think one of the things that we've tried to up, to, to uphold at choir with their name, which actually in, in the new strategy that we're developing now is becoming even more important, is that we're not, um, is that we're getting together as a team and enjoying music together rather than kind of dishing out a service to the to the homeless, in inverted commas. I hate that expression, mm. if you know what I mean. So mm. so um, so what would you do if you got to, to go with a group of your mates to have a sing sort of thing? You'd have a sing and then you'd probably have something to eat together. Like it, it's, um, uh, and as I say, it wasn't something that, that we necessarily... Um, I think possibly if I'd worked in homelessness services longer, it might have been slightly more formal than that, which would have been a shame because it, because it gives us that informal setting and the fact that you're there to bond over something as joyous as music, like gives you the opportunity to to break down barriers a little bit, basically, and, and to um, and to just, you know, treat people as individuals and and um, and and not as um, people in need, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, That's, absolutely. And that's um that's definitely as I say it's something so we we've we're just launching this new new strategy basically and one of the things that we're doing under that is it's very much about breaking down barriers and and um and one of the things that we want to do is mix is is uh is launch we've got we've got a couple of pilots to run this year as long as COVID allows us to um which is where we remove the kind of like we've we've tended to have. Uh, choir members in inverted commas which is people who've got you know experience of homelessness or other challenges going on and then volunteers who are anybody who wants to come and help out and we're going to remove those labels basically and just have everybody being choir members and that if that there are tasks that need fulfilling to keep the choir running that there's a volunteer committee like you're getting community choirs up and down the country sure. basically and that choir members with and without lived experience of homelessness fulfill that committee basically so it's it's going to be um more empowering for some people and and people who don't need to want to participate in that don't have to sort of thing but that it breaks down those barriers a bit more. I like yeah I really like that and and because also you have incredible loyalty from lots of your choir members who maybe once they've been singing with you for years and years you know might you know feel like you know that, that they perhaps have even more ownership of of their position than someone who comes in as a volunteer who might have you know there might be um you know kind of uh an undercurrent that, that that that's a different, maybe even more of an elevated position, and and that that's that feels like a real leveler. What you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's exactly exactly the word I've been using about it actually, and and uh, and I think the word ownership is really apt, isn't it? Like as you know, with choir no name members, there's definitely a, a real sense of ownership that people feel real pride in their in their choir and in what they've uh, in what they've achieved together, basically. And I think that if we can add the the sort of extra um responsibility really for kind of keeping it going then then that's only going to increase and and um you know and cause you know it's going to be a, a, a i think transitioning our existing choirs will be quite challenging because people are used to a status quo aren't they and kind of used to things being a certain way so that's why we're trying it out in new ones before we adapt anything or or change anything in the ones that we've already got fantastic um you, you've kind of hinted at this about 
why singing? But but why was it singing? You know, why wasn't it let's do like a yoga class for people who've experienced homelessness or why was it not like a creative writing class or whatever? Um, what, what is it about the singing experience? And again, you, you've kind of alluded to this already, but w- why why singing? And, and w- you know, because singing and homelessness is not two things that people would naturally put together, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, in the first instance, it was because uh, it's what I knew, if you know what I mean. Like, so it's what I knew how to do. And, and I could, and I really could, rec- you really recognise how cathartic it is, how you can go into a rehearsal feeling like you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders and then leave after just an hour or so feeling elated, you know, like completely different. Like it's such a transformational experience in the moment. And what I didn't realise at that time, if I'm totally honest, and again, this is a kind of happy, more by luck than design sort of thing. Like I was quite naive, I think, when I went into it. And I I understood that, Um, you know, the, the the community that you can feel by being part of a choir. And I understood that kind of transformation that can happen in in rehearsal itself. But I didn't realise how transformational it could be for people in the long term and how how those kind of you know how how lives really can be turned around by finding that community and and having just having the you know the opportunity to to sing your heart out once a week basically right. which is it can, yeah as I say incredibly cathartic and joyful experience that stays with you throughout the week and it has that ripple effect it's not just about the hour that you're in the room that you're singing I mean um you, you you regularly survey your members and I've just got some stats here from 2018. These are some that I included in my book actually because I just thought they were so powerful. Um, 96% of members said that through the choirs they made new friendships. 76% reported improved mental health. 93% have improved um, in confidence. I mean, that is amazing. I mean, that is an amazing service that quiet the name is providing there it's um yeah we're like <laughs> we're really proud of those stats and and uh and they consistently remain there you know year on year um it's uh it's been interesting to see what's happened we, we, we didn't do the same survey this year because of covid so we've been you know mm-hmm. as, as as we all have we've been singing online and that sort of thing so we asked some slightly different questions this year but yeah i mean it's it is as i say like what the what those stats don't capture and one of the things that we want to do is is why, if you know what I mean, like, what is it about that experience? What is it about singing that can be really, truly transformational for people and not just in terms of, um, I think one of the stats that we talk about is about people kind of feeling motivated to try new things outside of choir and and moving into, you know, sort of more positive situations in their housing or, or employment or volunteering or you know, kind of whatever their aspirations might be. And And a lot of people will attribute that positive change to their time at choir basically and and so what we what we want to do this year um in the next couple is commission some some sort of clever researchers like not just us asking questions but some people who really know about how to conduct research like qualitative research with individuals basically to explore that internal journey for people like what was the point at what point did did their motivation pick up and why did it and and what was it about that experience that led to you know, X, Y, or Z, basically, because it is, it's really, it's really interesting and not something that I think we fully understand yet. Exactly. And I mean, and that's partly my motivation for, for having these conversations and, and setting up this podcast, because, um, you know, we, we talk about that ripple effect and just, you know, the, 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 the people who, who come to your choirs, you know, they, they are taken on such an incredible journey and it's not, a, you know, it's not necessarily a musical journey, like the, the, um, 
the objective of Quiet No Name isn't to turn people into kind of, you know, pop stars, is it? You know, mm. it's to install all those things that we're talking about, about confidence and, you know, making them motivated and all that kind of thing. And actually that does come across, you know, what I think is really amazing about Quiet No Name performances is that your ambassadors will always speak and they'll tell the audience a little bit about their journey and, and, and about their story. And I think, you know, those are always incredibly powerful. And it, I guess that's the kind of thing that you're trying to harness and, and understand in your in your research. Yes, yeah, exactly. And actually, in um, yeah, exa- exactly that. And I'm, I'm not quite sure what the parameters of the research will be yet. I kind of feel mm. like we need help to even get to what the questions are, if you know what I mean. But, sure. but that's the kind of our plan. Have you come across Shelley Coyne, James? No. Who um she is a she's a choir director as well. She she works up in Glasgow. Um and she's done a PhD in in um in sort of music and homelessness basically and 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 she was she specifically looked at young people listening to music and their choices of music that they listen to and how it makes them feel and all that, that sort of stuff. But she did as part of it she did a big study on singing and home and homeless homeless singing groups basically. Um, so, so the PhD was just just uh, yeah just released this year basically just released you don't really mm. what do you do with a PhD you I publish don't know. it launch <laughs> it drops <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> my PhD just dropped my new PhD yeah yeah exactly I'll forward you the link anyway it's, oh cool um, it's, it's good because um I mean were you aware of of similar projects you know in when you were launching because I've since since become aware of the Choir of Hard Knocks is it called in mm. Australia. Yeah, yeah. So I had a chat with Jonathan Welch, who who um, was the director behind that before I set up. Actually, he was incredibly sweet and supportive. And I also had called Matt Peacock, who was at that time running um, uh, Streetwise Opera, basically. Who, who oh, cool. do, oh yes, you know, of course, um, in the UK, similar stuff. Yeah, in the UK. Um, and I think they were the only people I'd spoken to. Yeah, as I say, Jonathan in Australia was incredibly supportive. Matt was, um, and, and Matt was as well, actually, in a kind of, like, we had to feel our way around each other a little bit because we didn't want to tread on any toes, basically. But Come we on, were doing a, such you're different a, You're in a stuff. different hemisphere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think, that's, I think, I think uh, it was, um, yeah, once Matt understood that, it's all been completely fine and they've been, they have been incredibly supportive. And we try to, even though we are in different hemispheres, we sort of try and, uh, keeping regular conversations so that we're working together rather than against each other, which is a pitfall that lots of charities can fall into, I think. Of course, yeah, of course. I mean, but but also I think that the remit of Choir With No Name, like musically, is really, really tight. Um, like you, you're very, very kind of focused about these, the type of songs we do, like this is the vibe we're going for. Yeah. Which is basically like 110% joy as far as I can see. <laughs> like it seems to yeah. me that, that song choice is really important to you and, and to the musical directors and to the members. Yeah, it absolutely is. And it's something that we write into. So we write a manual for choir directors, basically. And that's kind of and, and that's one of the things that, that we, we talk about uplifting pop, basically. Mm. Um, and it's uh, and yes, it is. It's really important. What we what we were very determined not to be was an organisation that soul searched about homelessness issues, basically, that we were going to do the opposite of that. And I think, well, funnily enough, I've been talking about this quite a bit recently with one of our trustees, who's also a, a an experienced choir director, because she was saying, well, you need to articulate this artistic vision to keep it pure, because if you were to, you know, if you were to move on, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but we don't have an artistic vision. We just like sing like fun pop songs. And she's like, that is the artistic vision. <laughs> right. <laughs> Basically. Exactly. You know, that's uh, like, it, it doesn't matter, because I think I'm, I'm not um, a sort of... Uh, you know, particularly being a pop musician, like I wasn't even a jazz musician in the kind of like, a, you, like I came from a very, what I felt was kind of uncultured 
musical background, if you know what I mean. And um, and actually, having had lots more chats about diversity and inclusion and all that sort of stuff, she's very kind of like, that doesn't, you know, just because your perception of something means it's not highbrow, that doesn't mean that it's not no. absolutely valid, basically. And, and, oh, and there's a real and, purity about the joyfulness of kind of pop. You know, there's there's nothing to be nothing to be ashamed of, Marie. No, no, that's what I've come <laughs> to realise, which is fantastic, actually. And it's when it's you know, and it's accessible. That was the other, one of the other things that was important about it was that lots of people already knew a lot of the songs, which brings people in. Um, I think we we have got some work to do on on the way on our kind of the way that we make sure everybody can be equally included in rehearsals. Because I think if you sing in English, then that automatically can exclude, you know, some people basically. And and um, I've been. Uh, I'm hoping to have. Um, oh, that reminds me. I need to get back to him. Uh, the I'm hoping to have a chat with a guy who did some work for us many years ago, actually, but who's got this incredibly inclusive style of choir directing, which is so um, like really beautiful. Uh, it's a guy called Guillermo uh, Rosentula. I can't. I'm never going to pronounce his name right. Argent, Argentine guy who just mm-hmm. like he he creates arrangements on the spot with ideas mm. from the choir members who are kind of right there and then and he's like it's just and very non-language based basically so so i think uh but yeah just really sort of inspiring way of working yeah like very um as i say like kind of more more inclusive than a very sort of top-down approach which is how choir directing is you know traditionally yeah, dished out isn't it that's what we all do one of the things i really um love about the way choir the name works as well is 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 the approach to performance um, because a lot of people will think, you know, a typical choir performance, you know, the audience file in, the lights go down, you know, the stage is lit and the choir sings songs for two hours and the audience clap and, and everyone goes home. Could you maybe talk through what a typical choir of the name performance might look and sound like in terms of that kind of audience performer relationship? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we I guess we take it for granted now, but they, I mean, we have, again, like, you know, the manual is written uh, and, and mentions audience participation as a really important thing. And it stemmed from, again, it was something that grew quite naturally in the first instance, I think, like a lot of our songs lend themselves to some audience participation. But we kind of quickly realised that it, it it's another way of breaking down barriers, isn't it? It's another way of saying, like, you're part of this with us. You're not, you know, you're not the them and we're not the, you know, we're not the them and you're not the mm. us or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so, uh, so as an example, um, when we do our Christmas sing-alongs, which are kind of full of audience participation, basically. Legendary like choir... Christmas sing-alongs, I should say. <laughs> Legendary. Each choir director is tasked with, like, so we, so uh, the, the format will be that each choir gets two songs and the choir director has to include audience part- like significant audience participation in one of those two choices, basically. And then uh, either end of that, it will be bookended with, with the kind of classic Christmas ones that everybody sings all together like Slade or um mm. you know or or um Strake and Stevens or whatever that, that the audience will be singing all the way through with us as well and it as I say it's so it's so it tends to be like the the, the gig will start with everybody having to do a warm-up with one of the choir directors so so everybody's on their feet doing a warm-up like including the audience basically and and uh and then they kind of continue in that in that vein, I guess. And, and, you know, so by the end of it, everybody's on their feet, waving their arms in the air, basically. And, and that's more fun, I think. It's fantastic. <laughs> and, and what you're doing in the first few moments, you know, of a Choir of the Name performance is what, you know, you go to like, you know, go and see like a, a stadium rock gig or, or, or whatever. And what the band's trying to do for the whole two hours is to get the audience to that point where everyone feels liberated to sing and clap or whatever. But you've just yeah. gone straight in there from the from the... 
from the off. And that's exactly that's exactly it. And you kind of have to like you have to be brazen about the way that you approach it. Like so so basically, and to get people to warm up, they can't do that in their seats because it's like slightly sort of weird and awkward. So so you start off by getting everybody to stand up basically, and and then yeah, and then people as people instantly feel more liberated. I think as a, as a result of that basically, and they've been made to feel slightly silly in front of their friends that they've come with, which is exactly what it's all about, isn't it? Basically, like like yeah. kind of freeing your inhibitions a little bit basically. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the music as well, because, um, you know, I, I think as an organisation who, you know, you are running choirs for people who have experienced homelessness and other forms of marginalisation, you actually have really high musical um, aspirations um, for your singers as well. You know, I'm just thinking back to the, the Christmas concert that I did with you guys several years ago. We had a whole live band on stage, you know, we had a whole, you know, we had a brass section, you know, so this, you know, this is like a full on musical experience for, for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, The choir members are given the opportunity to sing solos, you know, standing up in front of hundreds of people. You know, this isn't just let's get together and sing some songs and have a nice time. You know, there's, there's a real musical integrity to what you do as well like could you talk about that a little bit as well please yeah that's lovely to hear and actually the word integrity is is one of our well integrity is one of our values and and uh is one of our organizational values and and it used to be excellence so we've kind of it's sort of morphed into integrity but it effectively it, it means the same thing to us like just because people have a homelessness background it doesn't mean that they don't deserve the best in you know in the accompaniment that you can give them basically and my my feeling about that was that if you give people a solid musical platform to stand on like not just solid but exceptional then obviously it's going to bring out the best in them as well basically when when I used to run the first choir we used to rehearse with a three-piece band every week like piano bass and drums and that hasn't been it just hasn't been practical to replicate that everywhere or whatever and um uh so we so so it's become a kind of piano accompaniment during rehearsals and then uh and then full band for gigs sort of thing. But the the um, what we never compromised on was the quality of our accompaniment, basically. So so if you've got uh, if you so your musicians that are accompanying need to be really good, basically, because otherwise everything falls over, doesn't it? You need someone who can play in time and play the right groove and play the you know like so if you're if you're singing blame it on the boogie, you don't want someone who who just sort of fluffs all the notes and kind of because then people aren't going to be able to find theirs or whatever. So, so yeah, and, it's and and that thing of and that thing of. Why shouldn't we have really high musical aspirations for the people who are singing with us? Like just because, yeah. you know, people are coming from, uh, you know, a background of homelessness or marginalisation doesn't mean that it, it shouldn't be awesome, you know, yeah, and give people abs- the best absolutely. experience. And the and the solos, I think, are they are really incredibly important for people sometimes and people can really kind of, you know, find reserves of courage that they didn't know that they had I think which is which can be really really incredible and our approach to that is to do it um is to to take it from a kind of egalitarian perspective so we're not just giving solos to the people with the with the loveliest voices um but that everybody gets a a chance to have a go but within that you, you find you know the right voice for the right part and the kind of so if somebody so there might be a part that's kind of slightly more spoken feeling that would be great for somebody or so everybody you know works to their to their strengths and what we found over the years which is really lovely to see and I think another one of the things that make uh, that make gigs so precious really is that kind of like groundswell of support from behind the, from the choir for the soloists basically which is just like without exception really you know really incredible and really moving as well and and uh 
And I think that if we're thinking about this kind of new model where that where we remove the distinction between choir members and volunteers and instead everybody's in it together, then a lot of the kind of more, uh, I guess, people from sort of um, more reserved middle class backgrounds basically are going to be really supported by the rest of that choir as well. And so you're going to get this kind of thing where, where everybody's learning from each other basically and, and where those relationships are going to be really important. And then that go again just goes back to kind of confidence, doesn't it? You know, the the confidence that you might get from singing like a verse in a song, you know, you know, can then just carry you through you know, in so many other areas of your life as well. I think, you know, it's, yes. it's really hard to, you know, see, see the ramifications of that. And I think, I think that's amazing. Yeah. Well, pride is a really, really uh, powerful emotion, isn't it? I think if, if you're feeling proud of something that you've achieved that week, then it definitely carries through into everything else that you're doing. Exactly. Like you learning your Nina Simone song. Yeah. <laughs> We all need it. We all need it. Boying me up at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, We've talked a little bit about the challenges of lockdown um, that I know all too well as a choir leader myself. Yeah. But it seems to me that you know you um, that you kind of really got stuck in early on, um, not just to running online sessions, but also supporting members in other ways. Um, could you talk a little bit about that, Marie? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, I mean, the Zoom stuff, we were we were very inspired by you as well, James, and your kind of, you know, very early uptake of, of that platform, basically, and learnt a lot from you in that as well. Well, a bit like uh, you with your first choir in the name rehearsal, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I just said I was going to do it, and I did it, and it was wonderful, and then I had to try and work out how to keep on replicating that. But thank you. We were all just That's, doing what uh, we could in those early we, days. Yeah, and, I, and, and actually, I'm all for just getting on with something and seeing what happens, basically. It's often yeah, the best way to too. learn I think um but yeah so we so yeah the choir directors have all adapted to that and then in the meantime we so we kind of mobilized our teams of volunteers in the in the first lockdown to do weekly phone calls for our choir members so everybody who wanted to hear from us was hearing from us once a week on the phone and and um and the choir managers were busy kind of um hooking people up with their local mutual aid groups making sure everybody got access to food and we like now that I've talked about this more I kind of recognize so another one of our organizational values is family because that's that's often the way that choir members describe their their choir is as their family and um and that's what families everywhere were doing basically it was like calling each other making sure that they were okay they've got somewhere to stay they've got some food you know they've got enough food they've got access to medicine blah 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 all that sort of stuff basically um so that's what uh yeah that that's what we were doing too and um, yeah it, it's uh it's been and the other thing we realized was that only about a quarter of our choir members were um able to get online when we were first doing the zoom rehearsals so we kind of launched a digital inclusion drive got some funding in from comic relief and the lottery actually to um uh to get devices and data out to people and now we're in the phase where we're where we're sort of making sure that everybody's got the skills and the training that they need to be able to access all the stuff online that they want to be able to access. Fantastic. And your musical directors have been, you know, doing an amazing job. I'd just like to, you know, cause I, I know all of your musical directors and I think they're all amazing. When, when, when you're looking to recruit choir directors, this is a very, very specific organisation. It's a very specific approach, isn't it? Um, and I just wonder, you know, were you looking for people who kind of had experience of working with, with groups like this, who had good musical skills, or were you looking for, you know, kind of top choir directors who, you know, who might be able to mould into the role, or I don't know, I, I wonder if... We, we've we always prioritised... Um, uh, we've always prioritised the person 
personality, I guess, is the wrong way of, of, of um, looking at it. What the, the kind of crucial element of a choir with no name choir director... Actually, there's a few, but uh, but you need people who are able to make people feel good about themselves, basically, right. and who are kind of able to hold that space and hold a room and, and really generate, you know, an inspiring atmosphere and keep people wanting to come back, basically. And, and that was more important to me than having an experienced choir director, although the caveat to that is that they did need to be a, an experienced musician, basically. Mm. So you need somebody who, who understands music and its power, who can, who can talk a musical language that, that other people understand, basically, but who've got that, that excellence as well, like who can drive people to, to sort of achieving great things, basically. And, and sometimes that's a, you know, a, a kind of, um, uh, sometimes that's a, a, a kind of music graduate like you know really highly trained musician and sometimes it's 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 a less trained but still a skilled person if you know what mm. I mean but it's um so uh so so yeah we try and be a bit, uh, kind of open-minded about that and actually as we again as we look at our kind of inclusion and diversity journey it may well be that that um that we broaden that even further um but that we don't lose sight of that um you know excellence in performance and and you know um inspiring ability to to make people feel great basically amazing that rem- as we as you were saying that i remember that last time i saw you in london which is just before lockdown we were we were planning a um a choir leaders weekend away weren't we we were um, absolutely so yeah. that, i'm looking forward to that when we can do that again and we can all um you know we can all hopefully inspire each other a little bit because I think that starting point that you mentioned about they have to be able to you know um, inspire people and they have to you know people skills basically like are at front of the queue yes yeah exactly that yeah I can't wait for that weekend James it's been, it's been a long <laughs> year hasn't it but they uh, um, uh, yeah I mean they they absolutely are and uh, particularly when you know when you're working with people who've been through really tough times you need a certain amount of empathy don't you to be able mm-hmm. to kind of understand why some of the challenges that you get within the rehearsal space might be slightly different to if you were at a you know a, a choir of a more um uh a more sort of what do you get what's the word i'm gonna say more normal traditional and inverted commas. yeah exactly yeah, yeah yeah absolutely um you, you've talked a little bit about you know your kind of hopes and aspirations for the future it sounds really exciting like you, you you never seem to be you know a charity that's kind of you know stood still like what what are your kind of aspirations now you know either musically or kind of more broadly for for choir with no name i think um and it's all sort of spelled out as i say by this new strategy which has got two i guess there's there's the kind of mixing the community a little bit and and then um co-production basically like kind of asking our choir members to take on more responsibility for delivering the the choir and and that if you look at co-production properly and and we're still working out what this means for us. I've got absolutely no idea, to be honest. But if you look at it properly, then it's going to be um, people with lived experience of homelessness involved in running every single aspect of what we do, from the from the singing itself to to um, you know to organising gigs to to fundraising to you know to, to to everything basically. So that's as I say something that we're kind of going to be working out over the next few years. And and musically, I think. Um, just addressing some of these issues of inclusion I think is really important so so looking at how we include people who don't have English as a first language or possibly looking at how we make sure that we're accessible to just as an example somebody who might be going through gender transition and their voice is changing like you know all Mm. that kind of um uh you know like like making sure we can accommodate 
everyone basically sure. and, and that we are rep- representing the homeless communities that we serve basically um musically i think i'm i'm quite keen now that i've had this you know revelation that uplifting pop is a, a valid artistic vision i think i really want oh, to yeah. articulate that and articulate that and, and explore it a bit more with the, with our with our team um and think about how arrangements get written and and uh and whether that can be more participatory and and uh um yeah, like have a think about that sort of stuff. But the, I, I think that that vision to us or that kind of purity of, of music choice is, is quite important to who we are. It's definitely a part of our brand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, I felt that to a degree with, with the Sofa Singers as well because there's so much, you know, so many songs you could sing, so many approaches you could have. And I think actually sometimes laying out your parameters is really important. But also, I, I don't know, I just feel over the last year in particular... You know, there's just been a real joy, you know, a real joy in, in things that I, I wouldn't say we'd been embarrassed about before. But, you know, it kind of just made us smell the smell the, the roses a little bit. And it's like, do you know what? If I'm just want to listen to Kylie all day and get my glitter on and have a great time, <laughs> then that's what I need to do, because that's going to lift my spirit. And, Absolutely. you know, because there's enough cynicism out there and there's enough, you know, I, I'm not bothered about you know whether it's cool or not i mean let's just get on with it you know life's i think that's <laughs> life's for living right. I, think, I think kylie became cool when she like when round i can't i just can't get you out of my head i think kylie became cool at that point anyway it's like totally okay to dance to kylie it's fine to dance to kylie yeah, yeah. that's true that's true, it's very true. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about songs then um we have a podcast playlist i ask every guest to add a song or some kind of vocal performance to that list um, it's wide open, but it's something that you'd like the listeners to listen to and enjoy. Um, I am going to go with still Nina Simone. Brilliant. But I'm going to go with Love, uh, Love Me or Leave Me, which has got like the kind of and the vocal. I mean, her vocal performance is always just so interesting, like really, like and really um, unusual. She's got such an unusual voice. I think it's so worth listening to. But the piano solo is like out of this world is it one of well? her kind of like bark two-part invention yeah ones? exactly like is it's it? totally she goes full classical on it and the band is still swinging underneath like it's yes. it's slightly mental and then it and then it comes in and then when the when the vocal comes back in it's like the total climax of the song it's just like she's kind of and then she's like she lands it like it's just brilliant it's really good she's incredible mm. like the hairs on my arms just going it was thinking about it because there are so many of those songs where in the middle, yeah, the band are still swinging away in the background and she's playing these really delicate, you know, kind of fugues and then suddenly, yes. like, it lands back in again. She's exactly, just yeah, incredible. Yeah. She's just incredible. Thank you. Well, that will give me an excuse to go and listen to that straight after this conversation. <laughs> um, so finally, Marie, um, we've talked so much about, about the power of singing today, but if a life of singing has taught you anything, uh, taught you a life lesson, what would it be? I think uh, I um oh I kind of had an idea for this earlier and I I've sort of slight is sort of slightly muddied. Anyway, I think what it would be is that music and singing in particular is such a leveler like you can like we we do quite a few corporate workshops and you get the chief exec of the company standing next to you know the person the person who runs the the um, mailroom or whatever and and the chief exec is probably because of their position the person who is more inhibited basically and and uh, and that all of us should approach music and singing in a way or if we could all approach music and singing and possibly the rest of life in a way where 
you had as few inhibitions as possible in the right context obviously then it does you no harm basically like it it's uh you know nobody's going to think less of you because you're singing your heart out basically it's it's uh in fact the opposite really um Brilliant. and it's just so uh it's just so nourishing to to not care and to go for it love that not care and just go for it. That's a brilliant way to end. Thanks so much, Marie. It's been a real joy. And thanks for the amazing, important work that you continue to do. No, oh, thank you for having me. Some great life lessons there from Marie Benton of Choir With No Name. Thanks again so much to Marie for appearing on the podcast. If you want to find out more about Choir With No Name, go to the show notes and you'll find a link to the website, where you can find out a bit more about the organisation, you can find out how you can donate and support their work. And there's also information about the four choirs they run in the UK, currently in Brighton, in London, in Birmingham and in Liverpool. And those of you who are familiar with the Sofa Singers might be interested to know that Mersey, Mersey Wiley, is the musical director of their Liverpool choir. Also in the show notes, there's a link to their video, This Is Me, which features members from across all of their choirs. And there's also an article about the choir with no name. Also in the conversation, I mentioned the Wrexham One Love Choir, which, with Marie and Choir with No Name support, I helped set up a few years ago. And that's a choir for people in North Wales, for people who've experienced homelessness and other forms of marginalisation. And again, there's a link to information about that choir in the show notes. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast and you really can help me spread the good news about singing in just a couple of ways. You can share this podcast with a friend or family member or anybody who you think might be interested in it. That really helps get the word out. And you can also rate and review on iTunes if that's where you listen to your podcast because that will help make the podcast more visible to other people. Help me spread the good word about singing. And until next time, thanks again for joining me. Take care.